Today's episode is with Beto Vina and is centered around his work in regenerative textiles and agroforestry. Beto has been working at the intersection of strategy, innovation and sustainability for over 14 years, helping clients such as Nike, Samsung, Verizon and J&J grow through products, services and communications. His career in the creative industry has given him awards such as the Cannes Young Lions, Effie's Award, and he has also been recognized on Medium as a top writer in sustainability, as well as a mentor for South by Southwest. His latest venture is Far Farm, a startup that is developing a textile agroforestry in the Brazilian Amazon. Most recently, he has further joined the team of Veja, coordinating sourcing and looking for responsible materials throughout Latin America. This was such a juicy conversation where I learned a whole lot and I hope you will too. Enjoy. Spirit of Design delves deep into the unseen elements of design and holistic sustainability. Join us, Amy and Anya, for open conversations with creatives, scholars, activists, and others to envision alternative design futures that are diverse, inclusive, community-centric, and in symbiosis with all life on this planet. Thank you so much for joining me today. It's a pleasure to be chatting to you. Thank you, Anya, for inviting me. It's a pleasure. So, yeah, as I mentioned, Amy and I really wanted to get you on to chat about the work that you're doing, which is so fascinating and so needed, particularly in these times around fashion, around design and regenerative agriculture. And perhaps I'd love for us to begin by, could you tell us a little bit about yourself, about your journey? What got you to where you are today? Yeah, sure. So I can give you maybe like a quick, quick journey and then you can, can get deeper into the questions. So uh, I, my family is all in the art and creative industry. Like I was born in my mom's atelier and my dad's design studio always loved art, but I really wanted to pursue something different. So I started to uh, to study business and and end up getting to the consultancy. And but always with a creative touch or maybe not the conventional consultancy and 100% rational. I always like it to play with like both side of my brain. And my journey was like 12 years into the consultancy I was born in the south of Brazil, moved to Sao Paulo where the big business is happening, and then I moved to New York. Uh, I was in a really good position as a strategy director in New York, but as like uh, most of entrepreneurial story goes, I wasn't super happy. I stayed into consultancy and business consultancy for like 12 years. I got into this position that I always pursued throughout my career, which is being in New York, I was working like a, one of the largest digital advertising agencies, and I wasn't happy at all. And I was trying to do something related with sustainability. I always loved nature. I've been a surfer forever. I surfed in, in all over Australia and New Zealand when I was like nine, 19 years old. So I love your country. And and then I trying to do something else was super hard to do it like after work like 8 p.m or over the weekends because i was so tired of the work i was doing so i decided to to put myself in a in a vulnerable position which is being unemployed so i was sure i need to find something to pursue and then uh, once i did that i started with the sustainable development goals 
and I studied them and I picked my goals. I picked number 13, 14, and 15, which is a manager of ocean, forest, and climate change. And I studied them and decided, okay, these for now on will be the goals I want to pursue personally and professionally. And But sustainable development goals, you can solve all the problems of the world. So I started to funneling down and then I got to agroforestry. I can explain a little bit more later about agroforestry, but one problem is that you need to have more skills to manage agroforestry. And everything you do, if you do like a commodity, like a tomato, it gets more expensive. So I was trying to find products from agroforestry that could have a value added into it. So I got into the fashion industry and to natural fibers. So the fashion industry, you have a lot of stories uh, behind the product, like the process is really important, how we do the product. And, and for me, bringing this whole story of natural fibers connected with agroforestry was the main opportunity, especially connecting with the fashion industry, which almost like 90% are what we consider like toxic fibers, which comes from, uh, from oil, like polyester, nylon, or from conventional cotton. So there's a huge market opportunity and there's a connection between agroforestry and natural fibers. So I decided to pursue with this idea of textile agroforestry. And then uh, that was just the beginning. Uh, and then I started pitching them and then the story goes, but it, like there's a lot of points in the, in the middle. <laughs> mm, I love that. It's um, so wonderful to hear about how like, courageous and brave you are just to throw yourself into unemployment to kind of follow your heart and your purpose into more meaningful work. We need more of that. So thank you for sharing that with us. You began to touch a little bit upon agroforestry and the work you've started to get into. Do you mind elaborating on that a little bit and explaining what that is exactly and what you're doing? Sure. So agroforestry, it's a, it's a few principles. If you think about regenerative agriculture, it's a sort of a, a huge umbrella. And then you have agroforestry, biodynamic, permaculture, all of them sort of like share some of the main principles. So, but agroforestry, the main thing is that you mimic nature, making species to collaborate with each other. You design nature to collaborate, creating this closed ecosystem that doesn't need any external inputs. You don't need chemicals or even water. So as an analogy, I, I like to look at, it's like coding nature. It's like the same logic you have in technology, the logic like if this and that, like the main technology, logical technology, you apply that to nature. But you have another factor, which is the biological factor, uh, because biology has been evolved for over 4 billion years. So it's a lot of iterations before we get to a point where we are right now. So it's really hard to try to code nature, but that's how we're trying to do with agroforestry. And it's actually a really ancient uh, practice and methodology. So indigenous people used to do that in Brazil when they when they are planting cacao under the trees, cacao really likes shade. So they're planting under the trees, which is like the best environment for them. And right now we see a lot of cacaos in monoculture with a lot of sun on the top of the cacao trees, but that they were not born that way. They're not developed the best way uh, over with the sun. They are well developed on the shade. So this is one main point. The other observation is that you're always looking into perspective, uh, time and space. The perspective time, it's what the plants that grows faster. Uh, we call it primaries. So you always plant something that grows fast and develop the roots really well. So if you are in a degraded land, those first ones, the primary species, will be the ones that are going to get the soil a little bit better and develop the organic matter for the soil. So you start with these plants, and then later on you plant uh, more ex oxygen, or I'm not sure if this word makes sense in English, but 
uh, plants that takes more time to develop, like fruits and other plants. Uh, this is the time. And the space, it's related how much uh, a plant like shades or sun, like the cacao tree example, and also space between them. So it's two axes uh, that you need to look at in order to develop and design your agroforestry. So, and also agroforestry share a lot of practices with permaculture or regenerative agriculture. So one of them is like soil covering. You need to feed the soil with organic matter. A soil that exposed, it's probably an unhealthy soil because all the fungi and bacteria are probably going to die because of the sun and the heat. So you really need uh, humid and with a lot of bacteria, a live soil. That's one of the main uh, practices. The other is to prune. You plant a lot of different species to create this organic matter to prune the trees. And this way you are accelerating the growth of the tree. You are making a signal for the species that they need to keep developing. That's a way to accelerate and also feed the soil uh, with organic matter. The other point, and maybe the main point about agroforestry, which makes it different than regenerative agriculture or agroecological, is that you need to plant trees. It's agroforestry because you are actually going to develop a forest. So you develop the lines of trees between the rows of your main crop, like cotton, like we do. And these trees, they have a lot of different roles and ecosystem services. They can sequester a lot of carbon. They can increase water availability. They can increase biodiversity and especially birds. One thing that we've learned with agroforestry, especially with coffee and cotton, is that when you have some trees, line of trees in your plantation, you have more birds. And these birds, they feed out of the main insects that can become a pest for cotton and coffee and other species. So you are creating and stimulating this ecosystem, this rich ecosystem to balance itself. Instead of trying to kill insects with insecticides, you are actually planting trees that comes the birds and the birds feed out of the insects. So you're creating the whole ecosystem. These are a few of the practices. There's a lot of different lessons. And one thing that's interesting is that there's no one rule. As I mentioned before, so nature has been optimized for so many years. And we as humans, you need to have some more humility to understand that we don't know how nature works and actually need to have these practices in mind to actually test your own hypothesis. If you're at your home and wherever you are, it's good to know the practices, but the rules is actually you are developing that with nature, with practices, with uh, empiric, empiric uh, experiences. Yeah, wow. Thank you for sharing that process of what agroforestry is with us. One thing I would say, Anya, if, if you want to understand how, how good is like a plantation or, or a design, think about the ecosystem services that design is providing. Ecosystem services for me, it's one of the main methodologies or the main study fields that you need to look into the future which is, okay, what type of services that forest or plantation is providing to society, either if it's carbon sequestration, oxygen, or even like entertainment or heritage or other types of things that the forest could provide to society. When you look at, for example, uh, organic cotton monoculture, that you're, you're doing the, the soil covering, you're doing everything to become regenerative. It can become regenerative, but it's not a type of environment that you can have a lot of biodiversity that maybe people can get in and learn about how to do it, or maybe you preserve some cultural heritage. So, okay, it's good because it's regenerative, it's organic, but is it the perfect model yet? Or how can it be better? So I always try to look at the services that that system 
is providing to society. And I'm obvious a big fan of agroforestry, but the fact that you have a lot of trees and these lines of different trees and different crops and a lot of biodiversity, I'm a big fan of agroforest because for me, from all these systems, is the one that provi provides the most of ecosystem services. Yeah, it seems like a very holistic approach. It's not just like we're doing with monocultures where, you know, let's just harvest the land to extract as much as we can. Um, just for us humans, this seems, and correct me if I'm wrong, this seems more like a very reciprocal relationship with biodiversity, with the, um, with the land, and which can also enhance communities and really touch on a lot of points. I see it more of it more as a flow as opposed to this linear way of thinking and doing things that we predominantly do in the in our Western culture. So it's really, really fascinating. And why aren't there more of these practices in the world? Why isn't every sort of farming practice um, using these agroforestry systems and principles or do you think it's possible for us to be using this on a larger scale? I definitely think it's possible. I feel that we're coming from a traditional agriculture for so many years. So people are used to do monoculture large scale. And if you think about the technology available, it's all for that type of agriculture. If you think about the governmental incentives or the financial systems, it's all to that traditional type of agriculture. So there's a lot of things that needs to change to leverage and stimulate more of agroforestry. But what I believe most is that the, maybe the way through it is to working with the agricultural families. I feel that we're coming from this traditional model when you have a small number of people with a lot of land employing not many people and getting a lot of capital incentive because of that. To a model where you have like 9 billion people, there's so many people in the world. And I feel that there's some sort of trend to people get more connected with nature. Like you see young people going to big cities to study and maybe going back to the countryside to connect more with nature. And these young people are the ones that are going to bring the technology, bring the incentives and to understand how to do uh, a model with a familiar agriculture, which is small scale with a lot of value added into it. I, li I like to, to see like the wine industry as, a, as an analogy, like the wine industry, they don't have like hundreds of thousands of hectares. They have like small pieces of land with a lot of story and with an amazing product. So I feel the way to move or trying to get into agroforestry uh, more present in our world, maybe through agricultural families developing their own and more sophisticated product out of nature. Yeah, so you're very much talking about these systems being really based on localism. So keeping things really close and really having that connection with the production and the systems that you're taking part in. Is that right? Is that kind of what agroforestry promotes? I think one side, yes. On the other side, because of course it's good to have like this local market incentivize the local production. But one of the beauty of our world and globalization as a whole is to have access to different products in the world. Like it's amazing for me, to, for example, uh, try something from uh, a wine from Australia, which is super available right now, and learning about the stories and where it was done, who made it, like the heritage. So it's it's a nice product to, to consume, even if you are in Brazil. So I understand there's a lot of impact on the footprint, like to exporting and importing these goods. But I don't feel that the... I'd, I would be like naive to think that we're going back into the ages where you have like small villages with the feudalism that's like self-sufficient and you're not looking to everywhere in the world. I feel there's like the cap capitalism 
uh, of course, it's not a perfect model, but I feel that this sort of like competitiveness and and the fact that you that you want to put like a better product with like a different story, like this type of things, I think it's uh, it's something that is stimulate and help us to evolve. So, I think that's the other side of the of the equation. I feel because we've gone so far from local practices, now a lot of people are advocating to come back, but it's perhaps how can we find this balance? Exactly. We have evolved so much in a lot of issues like health, food, security. I think there's this balance between traditional heritage and contemporary technology and something new that needs to, to be created, right? And not just like going back to, to where we were. Absolutely. Moving on from that a little bit, with these agroforestry systems, you've created your startup Far Farm, where you're creating textiles in these systems, which, correct me if I'm wrong, hasn't been done before. Is that right? We never heard about any company planting cotton using agroforestry. Like one of our main partners is called Larissa Duarte. She's like a She's been working with us. She was actually the first person I heard that was planting cotton using agroforestry. And it's still nowadays, uh, it's a, because agroforestry, it's, it's like becoming more and more popular right now. So people tend to just focus on, I would say like the cash crops, like fruits, vegetables, like corn, beans, and this type of things, uh, but not to cotton. But I really believe cotton has been like one of the main staples or one of the main fibers in the world. I think there's like a huge opportunity for it. Mm. And could you tell us a little bit about how you're creating these textiles in agroforestry methods? Like, have you actually already started? Because from what I've read, but perhaps this was a bit of an older article, it was still in the um, production and the growth stage. Whereabouts are you up to? And yeah, how, how has this journey been? And how is this going ahead for Far Farm? So for a startup, we've been doing this for two years. And as we're working with nature, it takes a little bit of time. It's different than like a tech startup that in like in six months you can, or maybe three months you can put out a product, test it out, optimize, you know. What I mean? So we are in the third prototype right now, and we'll be able to harvest the first cotton. Cotton takes like four months from from seed to harvest, but before that, you need to prepare the land, design the model, educate the families that are going to work on. So there's a lot of work involved before the plantation. And the first one we harvested went really well. We didn't have any pests, which was like amazing. Like the performance uh, was pretty good. And right now we're testing in a lab, in a, uh, in a laboratory in, in Sao Paulo to, to test like intrinsic and extrinsic qualities. But we planted four type, four different types of cotton species, from colored cotton to other three, all of them non-GMO. And one of them was clearly like the best one. That's probably we're going to, to keep uh, evolving. So this, this prototype was less than two hectares. Sorry, less than one hectare. The second prototype, which you have already planted, and we're probably going to harvest in March this year, it's a little bit bigger, it's two hectares, and it's a different region and totally different model. So you get, we gave more space between the trees rows for the cotton. We realized that the cotton was getting too much shade from the trees and cotton really loves sun. So we give a little bit more space, we change it, we change a, a little bit the model, and then this second one we're going to harvest in March. And we're going to a third prototype and hopefully like the last small scale prototype uh, this year as well with another client that is funding this project. And after this three prototype, I think we'll be able, I feel personally that we have enough data to give like a larger step, which is moving to a larger scale model. As, as you mentioned, Anya, like there's no reference there's no data about cotton planted in agroforestry. So we had to do that from scratch. So that was like a challenge for us. 
But after three prototypes, I think we'll be able, and that's the goal for this year, we'll be able to to develop the business model for a large scale textile agroforestry focused on cotton. And so will you be looking to um, to collaborate with larger brands for this, for them to be implementing more regenerative textiles within their work? Or what are your plans and visions and hopes for this? So the model we're developing right now would we have like a cost efficiency. If you plant, for example, 100 hectares, that's our hypothesis. The cost efficiency we gain, we get to a competitive price, which means we'll be able to compete in the market with our cotton. However, our cotton will have all this value added on the process, which is carbon sequestration, water availability, all the ecosystem services I've mentioned before. So we're seeing a huge demand from brands to buy organic cotton in Brazil. And there's a lack of offering. So we know there's a market for that. If you'll be able to develop the cotton with the cost efficiency, we believe we're going to get there. I hope, hopefully we're going to get there. I think there's like a, will be, the commercialization won't be really hard to do it. But anyways, we're collaborating with brands right now because the agroforestry setup, it's, it's expensive. You need to teach communities how to develop. You need to buy a lot of different seeds because you have needs to have like this biodiversity. You need to have more management at the beginning. However, once you develop the first one, the agroforestry feeds from itself. So it auto-fertilizes with the pruning process and so on. So you don't need to have another cost different than the traditional agriculture. Traditional agriculture, 60% from all the costs, as, at least in Brazil, this is data from the Brazilian Association, are related with fertilizers, insecticides, or herbicides, all the chemicals that you use to fertilize or protect your, uh, your farm. For the agroforestry, you don't need none of that. And in the Pará region, in the east of Amazon region, we developed the whole agroforestry without irrigation as well. So imagine we have a setup that's a little bit more expensive, but the next years, you don't need to have uh, more inputs or financial inputs. So that's, uh, again, our hypothesis. And then we're working with the brands at the beginning to finance this first model, to finance these first setups. But later on, we believe that the business itself will be able to, to have a competitive price on cotton in the market. So this is all being grown at the moment um, in the Amazon. Is that right? One prototype is in the Amazon. The other is in the southeast of Brazil, which is, we call it Cerrado, which is like Brazilian savanna, uh, but it's a different biome. And the third one, we're still researching and there's a few opportunities, but we're passionate about the Amazon. And if you look at the Amazon, you have like all the east of the Amazon and the bottom part, there's all the greater land. So there's so much opportunity to work there. And can agroforestry systems, can they be implemented anywhere on any sort of land? The agroforestry practices definitely can be implemented everywhere. Of course, each biome will have specific principles or of course species that are related with that biome and you won't have like in a more like arid region the same biodiversity as you have in the amazon but again agroforestry is not just like a rule by the book it's more of a principles to approach nature which is making them collaborate with each other planting trees together with your main crop like that's like summarizing the main principles and especially in Australia, yeah, there's so many good agroforesters uh, in Australia. You guys actually created sort of like the, the concept of permaculture and, and I've heard about many agroforestry in Australia. So you guys are, are doing really, really well. That's good to hear. Um, I actually, how I found out about your work through Far Farm is um, I have some Brazilian friends in Byron Bay where I used to live and they are agroforestry farmers now and they showed me the, the video Life in Syntropy and when I watched it, something really resonated and connected and it just seems like a process that should flow so easily from us to 
our relationship with nature and it just baffles me that this isn't the way we're doing things normally and just important to mention Anya, uh, i'm not a, like a technical agroforester so if someone wants to study more about it i would definitely recommend life in syntropy with ernest kitch he's like our mentor i've studied with him but most of the time there's like a few cool people if someone wants to study One of them is called Renature Foundation from Filippi, really great guy. He's, he knows a lot about it. Another is called Preta Terra. Preta Terra is P-R-E-T-A, Terra, T-E-R-R-A. They are the best ones. Uh, they're really, really cool. And they, they have like these Instagram videos teaching how to do agroforestry and so on. Like, there's a lot of great people out there that is teaching the details and more technical stuff. Awesome. Thank you for sharing that. I'll put the links to those in the show notes below for anyone listening that would like to get onto that. It's so fascinating. And what I'm really interested in is, um, I guess, coming from a fashion background in my works in sustainable fashion, and I've been going through this thought process a lot lately that perhaps we shouldn't be creating any new textiles because we, you know, the land's been desecrated. It's all these monocultures um, full of pesticides. We're just kind of, you know, like Vandana Shiva talks about that seeds and plants are the new forms of slaves in our world. And so I've been having a lot of thoughts about, you know, we should only be using the materials and textiles that are already created because, you know, there's so much waste we need to be using and instead of producing more new stuff. But this just seems like something totally different. And it, like you said, it's an all-round all holistic approach where it actually helps to not only develop the ecosystem biodiversity, but also develops the area socially and economically in a very reciprocal way with the land. It gives me hope and excitement that we can still be producing new things and new materials and new products in the world that are more aligned with nature and her systems. That's a really, really important question right and it's a like philosophical question how much should you keep using i think my approach is that there's no main rule everything that you do for related with sustainability needs to be dived deep and deep to understand how it's sustainable or not like sometimes you, you read articles saying okay recycle is not sustainable because keep uh releasing microplastic or You cannot use no animals products because so I feel that everything needs to be further investigated to understand how it works or not. And there's like one no one rule. In my opinion, agroforestry, if you if you plant an agroforestry in a degraded land, I think that's a good thing for the environment because all the services that it's providing. When a cotton farmer comes to me, the first thing they ask, okay, what's your productivity? How much kilos can you make in a hectare? And of course, it's much lower than his monoculture, but that's not the right question, right? So you, you need to be further down to understand everything that that ecosystem is providing to society. And we tend to see everything monetize it uh, as a currency, right? As money. But I think we need to also understand all the other values that are related with the goods and the things that we're doing. So it's not a, a simple question that should or should not use nature or seeds anymore, or should and should not use recycle, or should not use plastic. Plastic is actually an amazing product. It's like flexible, it's light. They're using for health issues, for building building houses, for poor communities. So it's not that it should not use plastic anymore. So we need just to use wisely or responsibly. So that's that's my approach. Such an important point you've touched on. I think because we've gone so far one way with the overproduction, the overconsumption, and it's just gone and out of control that now we're thinking we have to completely go to zero. But it's, yeah, I think it's so interesting, your perspective where, especially you bring up the point about plastic, you know, it has such a stigma about it now, but, but you're right. It does have its place in the world and its qualities that can actually enhance our lives when there is a relationship with plastic that is mindful and conscious. 
going on from that, actually, I think I'd love to ask you, I read in an interview that with the work that you're doing here with Far Farm and the regenerative textiles, that you said that you're on a journey to create a business that has nature as a foundation and as an ultimate KPI, so key performance indicator. So this is quite a radical approach for measuring the success of a business particularly in our world where usually the norm is to measure the success of of your business through economic growth, efficiency, optimization. How did you come to this and how, how is it going so far? Because I think this is really inspiring to hear about this alternative marker for success and what it could potentially look like for others. So it's adding a lot of complexity into business, right? It's different than doing just like a, a bakery or a coffee shop. Uh, but I feel that there's a lot of other businesses that are trying to bring these elements. And even though sometimes it's just like sustainable report or maybe just building content online, showing what they are doing, it's sort of starting to become more and more important. And I feel uh, that this is also becoming important financially. Like I see, especially like VCs, or hedge funds looking into sustainability performances or KPIs in order to invest to companies. And you see that companies that are using more practices, responsible practices, either environmentally or socially, like gender equality, well, people well-paid and respectfully and so on. Those companies are the ones that are performing better financially as well. And you see a little bit of signs that having social and environmental KPIs are becoming as important as profit for for all the companies. And that's was I'm glad that we had this at the beginning of the company because we're designing the whole company in order to be able to do that. I feel that if you have like a big company and you try to shift right now into that perspective to bring these environmental social KPIs, it's way more difficult than starting from scratch. So I feel that was like our mission. And our approach that we look at too is that our mission is so strong because our we're totally passionate about it that we like to say that we're not a business that have has a mission. We are a mission that using a business as a platform. So we are a mission that has a business. And looking to business as a way, as a process to have this final goal of social and environmental impact instead of the opposite, right? So you see a lot of brands that are doing marketing, bringing causes and sort of greenwashing and also blue washing, right? And blue washing is when you, you are agreeing with the UN goals and you are saying that in 10 years, you have like 100% sustainable, but actually you don't know how to get there. It's just like, uh, it's just like blue washing for me, like just promising. So you see a lot of companies doing that as a way in order to get profits. And I think we need to shift that. So I think either the KPIs or the mission, everything we're doing is just like to going back to to the core of our business and start to grow the startup the way we really believe it since the beginning, which was having this mission and impact we want to have is like social environment. Oh, I've, I've never heard of blue washing before. <laughs> so interesting that that's coming up now a lot. And I, yeah, I can definitely see it now that, that you pointed out. Um, everyone's kind of getting on the sustainable development goal bandwagon, but is it really being implemented? You know, that's just so inspiring that you're leading from that place and creating a business as founded upon that. I do see it happening a little bit with startups predominantly, but there is just so much noise, particularly in the business world. Like this is what you need to be successful. This is the steps you need to take. It's a very um, still stuck in this old paradigm, this old way of thinking of what business is or what business looks like, of what success looks like. Yes. For you to be able to define that for yourself as a, a business, I think is just really inspiring hopefully for others that you can do things your own way and that we need to be changing the the systems and paradigms of how we operate i thought it was also really interesting in one of your articles i think it was the one that you sent me recently on medium you mentioned that 
sustainability has become quite vulgarized and that it needs more reflection. And I'd love to ask you, what do, do you mean by this? I feel that sometimes in society, especially when these topics start to getting into the mass, into the mainstream, people start to use it, using this type of terminologies without reflecting and realizing what that actually means. So if you think about sustainability, it's the fact that it, something needs to, to be sustained like forever, which means like our kids will be able to, to use these resources. It's not something that's finite and it's going to end it and so on. And then when you go back to the market, you see a lot of initiatives that are not actually sustainable. They're just less bad. And being less bad, it's not necessarily good. Right. So if I say, okay, I have a fabric that's 10% recycled, so therefore I'm sustainable. You see a lot of companies doing that. And for me, when I look at that 10% recycle, I just look at the 9% that is not recycled. And even the 10% they recycle, what actually happens after it was? Or uh, how is getting like the design process getting to the circular economy how is this disposed and how can you use it later and so so there's so many questions you need to ask and dive deep again in order to to get into a conclusion that it is sustainable and also the other philosophical question is do we want sustainability do we want do we need to be always sustainable and live forever like I don't, I don't have an answer for that. So I think there's like two main things. One is like, okay, what exactly means sustainability? And do you want to achieve sustainability? So I, like, I feel that the way we're moving towards, and I don't want to sound pessimistic, but it's a fact that in the end, like the humans are not going to survive. I'm not sure if it's like 10 years, 1,000 years or 100,000 years. We're going to get extinct at one point. And I feel like, th therefore, we won't be sustainable. I feel that the, I think my approach and the way I like to think is that, okay, at least I want to be extinct with an elegance, with a respectful way that in the crazy long future, people will see us as like a community that treat the world well or inspires someone. So at least I want to be extent with an elegance. Uh, that's my my point of view of so many people using sustainability as a word. And I try to avoid as much as possible because it's just becoming meaningless nowadays. Yeah, I can definitely see that it is this word that's thrown around a lot. And like you mentioned before, there is so much greenwashing and people are just jumping onto these ideas without doing the proper research, without reflecting on what they feel sustainability is and what they're trying to sustain. So it's really interesting you mentioned that. I don't know, I guess for me, perhaps it's not so much sustainability, but I don't know if you've heard this uh, term before, but John Ehrenfeld talks about this a lot, flourishing but not just for humans as we've been doing for so long, but how can we find ways to flourish for all of us on this planet, animals, insects, the land, all plant life, the air, all the elements. How can we flourish as interconnected beings with one another on this earth? And what, what could that look like? It's a beautiful word. And, and it's more logically comes from nature as well, right? Because it probably comes from flower. I can be wrong, but it's a nice word. Mm, yeah, I didn't think of that before, but that completely makes sense. There's a lot that comes up with our with our language, I think. That's quite limited. So perhaps, yeah, it's it's creating new stories around what sustainability means and finding new words for what that could be. You also mentioned that at the moment you're working with Veja. Did I say that right? Or is it Veja? People call it Veja in Brazil. Everywhere in the world, the thing is Veja. So you're working with Veja, the sustainable sneaker brand at the moment, and you're coordinating the sourcing for all their raw materials. Mm -hmm. um, do you mind telling us a little bit about this role? What are you doing? What kind of materials are you sourcing? A little bit about the brand and your work there, because it's it's quite a well-known brand. Like Sure. So with Veja, it's a it's a crazy relationship because they hired Far Far, my company, to develop new fibers and to expand with the agroforestry and so on. But I, I got so well with the co-founder, Francois. He's such an amazing human being that he hired myself to 
work for Veja with the other materials. So nowadays I'm 100% working for them, part paid my, by my company, part hired by Veja, and my company is being run by other, uh, my other partners. So if that makes sense, but just to give you like a quick overview on Veja. So it's a, it's a company that has been in the market for 15 years. Since the beginning, they are looking into responsible materials. So the supply chain right now, it's pretty much focused on organic cotton in the northeast of Brazil with agroecological farms. So farms that they have a diversity of crops, they do some practices and regenerative practices, and they are working with over 1,000 families there. As well as in the Amazon, in the west region of the Amazon, the state of Acre and Amazonas, which there is like over 350 families working with natural rubber and also leather uh, in the south of Brazil and recycled materials. So my work with them, it's pretty much coordinating and try to expand this work with bringing more families, new materials, as well as bringing efficiency to the work they are doing. So for example, with the, with the cotton right now, we're trying to de- developing a, a project to pay for ecosystem services and to get a bonus if someone are keeping the, the regenerative practices, they are taking notes, everything they're doing. And so not just having the organic certification, which most of them have, but also having regenerative practices with these thousand families there. Uh, the work with rubber as well, uh, we're expanding a lot right now because the, uh, as you mentioned, Veja has grown so much. So I'm helping them to evolve. And as well as leather, I think leather, same on the topic we touched about like the philo- philosophical topic. Okay, should it be vegan or not vegan? So we use leather in some of the lines. Uh, I was researching about how can you do the best type of cattle? And in the south of Brazil, we have a biome called Pampas, which is like a short grass where you can have cattle without having to deforest. And if you don't have the overgrazing, and if you have a size uh, of grass, which is super healthy for the cattle and doesn't have a lot of cattle in the same hectare, you have enough carbon sequestration that then you are offsetting the cattle, which means you have like a positive, climate positive environment. So if you can be able to not deforest, have the natural natural biome with a lot of biodiversity with birds, animals, and so on, and create cattle at the same time, I feel it's a good environment. So that's that's another work we're doing. So pretty much my work is trying to get, uh, to expand the work with the communities and responsible supply chain and get more quality and even better on sustainable and social practices for them. That's so exciting that Vesher is using these regenerative systems and processes and it just it completely still blows my mind that these systems can actually offset carbon emissions and sequestrate more carbon than is produced. Yeah, I'm, I'm totally passionate about the work they are doing and I'm so glad to be able to work with them because they have been doing this for 15 years with so many communities so right now it just it's almost like a fast forward far farm into the future <laughs> but just to be 100% clear not the latter right now they're not 100% climate positive like I mentioned this is a project I am starting with them and hopefully in the future we'll be able to have all the leather that Veja is using coming from farms that respect the environment, respect the cattle, and develop this regenerative agriculture and climate-positive cattle ranches. Well, thank you for that transparency. And are you working on any vegan or plant-based leather alternatives? Yeah, we have like a few vegan lines. One of them, it's already in the markets. It's made uh, based on corn. If I'm not wrong, is the Campo, C-A-M-P-O line. So this is all, uh, we cannot call, we don't call it vegan uh, leather. We cannot call leather because leather should come from an animal, but it's a, it's a replacement and uh, it looks like the same, but it's based, basically based, uh, made with corn. And we're testing a lot of new ones. So probably next year we'll be launching new ones and we also have a few ones with just like 
uh, with the upper 100% organic cotton, which again is vegan as well, just using cotton. And we, we've done a Lija uh, works with uh, with me at Vija, super great professional. She did amazing work with a life cycle assessment, an LCA, and the ones with the upper, they are the ones with the least impact from all the shoes. So if you really, really care about sustainability and want, and responsible products and want to buy uh, your next Vija, the one with organic cotton is like the best one, I would say. Good to know. Yeah, because usually you think cotton uses a lot of water and so therefore it can't be that sustainable. So important to mention, Anya, these communities in the northeast of Brazil, most of them, they don't have resources for irrigation. Imagine imagine they are like 1,000 families is a lot of people. Each family has from like two to max five hectares, but mostly like two hectares of cotton plantation. Super poor communities that we are helping, supporting them the best way we can. But of course, it's super difficult to do it, to have at least the food security to plant beans, sesame, corn, and other things together with the cotton. And they don't have the resources for irrigation like the traditional agriculture. So most of the organic cotton in Brazil, they are picked by hand, no irrigation. They're super artisanally done. So I'm not sure exactly how how the LCA was done. It was like getting just data and benchmarks from the market. But most of the cotton from organic cotton in Brazil, in the northeast of Brazil, there's no water inputs. Yeah, wow. Okay, I had no idea. Just goes to show how complex these systems are and how it's so different based upon the place of where the fiber comes from. So that's, yeah, that's fascinating. I'm conscious of the time, but I would love just to ask you, what are your visions for Far Farm, but also your work with Beja? As we are at the beginning of a year, what do you hope to bring in for this coming year, but also for the next decade? I think a lot of things will change. <laughs> and I also would love to hear from you. It's like a uh, important question. But like for Far Farm, the next step, we're just like, we're changing a little bit the business model to actually change last year. So right now we're a consultancy of responsible supply chain. So we're developing a lot of projects that wants for brands that want to have a uh, responsible supply chain, not necessarily with fibers or into fashion. So we did a work for Nespresso with a research from their boutiques in Brazil with what type of materials they should use. Uh, and we're doing another project, uh, hopefully we start this year, which is planting cotton in a herbal urban farms in Sao Paulo to develop a collection. So I feel that Far Farm is becoming this creative space to use regenerative agriculture and nature to develop beautiful projects with creatives, artists, brands, communities. So I love to see Far Farm more as a collaborative and a framework and an open space than actually a closed business. And uh, and for Veja, Veja is growing so much right now. It's like, a, it's crazy. Uh, I think for all of them in, in the company, they want to grow in a health and responsible way. There are so many people, like over 10 years that they are selling their raw materials to Veja. So Veja is responsible uh, in a way, in a point of view, for this community. So we have responsibility to keep growing responsibly and growing well and steady and make sure we're doing the right thing. I, I think we're in a culture, especially coming from like Silicon Valley with this huge leverage of money and trying to create unicorns. And and you see like WeWork is an example, like what's valuation at 8 billion or more don't even know, and then like lose eight times the brand equity they used to have. So this type of relationship, which like artificially leveraged by money, I think it's something that I also needs to change. And and the way Veja is growing throughout 15 years, which is like this organic growth and responsible growth, when people can get together, collaborate with us and make sure that we're not kicking them out in the next year. I think that's might be the, the most important point for Veja. And also finding some alternatives of fibers and rubbers and about materials. Like there's so much material in the world. We tend to use just oil and cotton, especially in the fashion industry. It's just oil and cotton. Everything we look at, it's like polyester or nylon or viscose. Or... So I love to find new alternatives of materials that you could start using for, for the shoes. I think that's my, maybe my personal goal in, in the company. 
I would just maybe end saying again that maybe the word sustainability, hopefully in the future, we're not going to use it anymore because everything must to be sustainable, right? It's going to be transparent and disappear. Like everything that becomes as a trend and then suddenly disappear. I think in the future, we stop talking about sustainability and get one step further to understand what type of sustainable things are there and, and how can improve and evolve and human beings and society connected with nature, right? And not just staying in this discussion, which is like a, such a superficial discussion about you're sustainable or not. I love those, the creating of new paradigms and systems. Yeah, that's awesome. We need so much more of that in the world. No, I love this type of conversation, looking to the future, maybe like 10,000 years from now, what's going to happen? So I, you probably heard about Yuval Harari. He wrote Sapiens and other books. And he says that in the future, we'll have this like sort of useless community, useless people that already have safety, health, they already have everything, but they are not useful for society anymore because they're probably not like technologically skilled or anyway. But I, I totally believe that uh, thinking about this useless, which for me is far from me useless, but as communities that are going to spread in the world doing agriculture, like familiar agriculture, small plot of land, develop their own land, with the technology necessary to do that. And as we mentioned at the beginning of the conversation, merging traditional heritage and culture with the new technology and developing products out of nature in a responsible way. I, I love to see a future like that. That's my, that's my vision. <laughs> mm. Oh, I would love that too, so much. So much. Um, and yeah, it's so needed at the moment. I guess we chatted about this before, but the fires in Australia currently as we speak, um, as I'm in Sydney, they're still going and because of the crazy drought that we've had and that we still have. And a lot of that, there's obviously a lot of reasons that come into play um, about the, the causes of this. A lot of that has been from land mismanagement and from we've got a lot of agricultural practice well, most of these agricultural practices here are not aligned with the rhythms of the earth and that they just keep taking and taking it would be really amazing to imagine but then also enact and create these alternative systems that are more in harmony with mother nature and communities I'm so excited to see what you guys at Far Farm and also Veja continue to work upon and create and put into the world. <laughs> Thanks so much, Anya. Super welcome to come visit us in, in the Amazon to look at our agroforestry. If you want to do like some crazy experience, I'm sure you're going to love it. And I'm so happy you're doing this because I, I really like to, to listen to podcasts. I was trying to, I was typing like sustainability podcast and I couldn't find any like well done, you know what I mean? And got bored and, and move on. So I'm so happy you're using this channel to share this type of content, which is so important nowadays. Was there anything else you perhaps wanted to add before I close off? Or I think the, the last thing I would say is that I started this because I love nature. But then you get passionate about the people. And when you work with poor communities, you come with a lot of bias, thinking you are smarter or more well-educated and so on. And once I got into the Amazon with the poor communities in the Northeast, it makes you so humble because they are so smart. And they know everything they are doing. And you get really connected with them. So I feel that when I think about sustainability, we talk a lot about nature, but at the end goal, uh, it's about people. You need to take care of people. They will be the guardians of the forest. They will be the one managing land. You mentioned Australia. I'm sure if there's like people uh, with empathy, with love in their hearts, they will be managing better the land. So the name is Far Farm. We talk a lot about regenerative agriculture, a lot about nature, but I think the people element is, is the most important one. It's mm, so beautiful. Thank you so much, Beto. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you. And I've learned so much from you and I look forward to sharing this with everyone else. 
Anya, thank you so much for the invitation, the opportunity. It's a pleasure. And I'm looking forward to hear this one and the next one you are developing. Thanks for listening. We hope you enjoyed this week's conversation. For today's show notes, to get in touch or sign up to our mailing list, you can find links at the bottom of this episode page. And if you are new to our community, then head on over to our Instagram at sustainability5.0 and our website www.sustainability5.world and follow along to stay up to date with our upcoming online and in-person events. If you found value in today's conversation, then we would so appreciate it if you would subscribe and leave us a review. Through this, you're helping others to find these important conversations. Have a wonderful week. Bye-bye.